Lord, you are our deliverer. Thank you for that. Lord, this morning as we listen to your word, I just ask, Lord, that you would form us all more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ by your grace. May your spirit make us attentive to what you would want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I wrestled in high school, as the practitioners like to call it. Okay, so if there was a healthy way of knowing how to maintain weight in the wrestling season, I never found it. Because I always went between just absolutely starving myself and then weighing in and then engorging myself. And then the process would start all over again. My friends and I would dream about the day when Christmas and Thanksgiving could finally be enjoyed because we wouldn't have to be thinking about wrestling or if we did partake, having to punish ourselves afterward. And in reflection of that tension, one season we even had the most gluttonous day possible to end the season. So we got together one day, we woke up, we got donuts, we went to a breakfast place, we went to an ice cream place, we went to a burger place, we went to a Chinese buffet, all in the same day. Don't clap because I wouldn't go back and do it again. But that, that's what we were just so excited to not need self-discipline anymore. Or so we thought. Because I arrived at college, and I know this is really cliche, but that was the most fit I had ever been. And soon, though, I would go from being someone who people would ask fitness advice from to someone who they probably whispered behind their back, wow, he's gained a lot of weight. And at 20 years old, I'm the heaviest I had ever been, and I was getting out of breath just going up to the second floor in the library. I didn't think I needed self-discipline anymore. Or at least I thought I was more disciplined than I actually was. It was easy when I had my coach. It was easy when I had my teammates. It was easy when the season was on. But when all of those systems were only being held up by me, I couldn't hold it up anymore. Why am I telling you about this? Because I'm not saying that 21 days of prayer is easy. But I am saying that praying for 21 days is a lot easier than praying for 365 days. It's a lot easier when someone's looking it for your face at 6.30 a.m. It's a lot easier when the whole church is talking about it. It's a lot easier when we have time and places to meet. It's harder when the discipline is all on you to hold up. So the point of today's message is that I want you to be a rocket and not a frog. Amen. You can go home now. So really what I'm saying is let this season be a launch pad, not a lily pad. Let the season be a launch pad, not a a lily pad, because for some of us, okay, 
This season might feel like, oh, this is nice to just take in the scenery, to just sit here on my lily pad, take in the sun. But then you leave the lily pad and it was just a season. A launch pad is all about trajectory. I'm here so I can get there. I'm here so I can launch off into space, to Mars, to the moon, to Tatooine, wherever. (laughs) I'm only here so I can get there. I am going this way. So let's not let 21 days of prayer be a sightseeing experience, but let it be an opportunity for you to launch off in your lifelong conversation with God into a new galaxy of relationship that you've never even explored. Let's make the season a launch pad and not a lily pad. So Pastor Chris and Pastor Jessica have helped us get down into the nitty-gritty in this series of how do we actually pray in the moment? What are strategies? What are templates that we can use? But today, I'm going to get a little bit into that, but really, I want to give you some tips on how to build the prayer-filled life. How do you become the most prayerful person possible? So before we get into those seven points there... First, I want to say there are some of you in the room, while all of us are called to a deeper prayer life, I think there are some of us who are called by the Lord to be prayer warriors, to pray to an extent that not everyone else is called to. So if in this season you have felt something stirring within your hearts, I just want to give you some options. Number one, specifically, we have prayer small groups. Now, all of the small groups pray, but we have two, a Tuesday night one at 6 p.m. led by Pastor Christian. I wouldn't go to that one. Just kidding. Pastor Christian and I like to throw each other under the bus during sermons, if you've caught on to that. I would go to that one. Or there's a Thursday morning one at 10 a.m. led by Marilyn Smith. So if you want to get together with some people and seriously pray, these are groups for you. But then there's also two dream team options. First, you could become a Sunday intercessor. You could become a part of the team that's praying during the service to cover it in prayer. Or you can join the Wellsprings of Freedom team, which we've talked about the past two Sundays, where you can help people pray toward freedom in Jesus Christ so they can be set free to be everything that the Lord has called them to be. So if either of those dream team positions you can apply for or show interest in by going into our uh, Dream Team interest form on the website, or two, you can just follow the instructions to sign up for the small group, for the prayer small group, fill it out at the end of that little bulletin there with all the small groups described, drop it off in the offering box in the back. So, as we continue, the seven pieces of advice for building a life of prayer. First, hide and abide. Hide and abide. Here's the reality. If you want to have a thriving prayer life, then you have to have a hiding place, a place where you continually go away to be alone with the Lord, a place that's just for you and him. Now, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. 
Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. He's giving us a picture, Jesus is giving us a picture of a prayer life that is focused on having a relationship with the Father and not focused on looking good to our fellow Christians. You need a space to be able to connect with your Father. And so not only do we see Jesus teaching this, but we also see him living by it. Now, this is one of multiple examples, but if you go to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And some of you might be thinking he didn't even follow his own advice. Because A, he didn't go into a room, he went outside. And B, people caught him. They saw him going away to pray, so he wasn't very secretive. That's not the point, okay? He was not doing it to show off, but leading by example. Going away to be with his father to be with his father, to build relationship with his father. Now, Jesus went outside to pray, which is understandable because he was a mobile guy, right? So the only place that you have that's consistent is the outdoors, all right? But the point is, is he had a regular place to pray, a regular place to hide. You need a regular place to hide, whether it be a chair, if you got an extra room in your house, if you just need to be creative and you put an apron over your head like Susanna Wesley, a place where you continually go to that's set apart for prayer. Maybe you've heard the research that says you shouldn't do anything else but sleep in your bed. Don't watch TV don't just veg out. Only sleep in your bed because then when you get in your bed, you'll be ready to sleep easier. You need a place where you only pray in so that it gets easier to get in the mood for prayer. So, and then trick that place out. Put whatever music, whatever art, whatever lists, whatever you need to be led into prayer, candles, etc., prayer books, multiple Bibles, Put them there, whatever's going to help you to pray. You need to find a place to hide. But some of you are getting too excited. The introverts are getting too excited right now. Because on the flip side, you also need a group to abide in. You need a group that you're praying with regularly. And you might be saying, well, Jesus said go alone when you pray. Okay, yeah, but he was talking in reference to the fact that people were trying to pray to impress people. He wasn't talking about praying together. You need a group to abide with. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, they were seeking the Lord together on who to replace Judas with in the disciples. So there's a place to pray together for God's counsel, but also there's more than that. Going to the book of James, James chapter 5, 14 through 16. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. So not only do you need a place to seek the Lord together, but you also need a place to be able to be vulnerable and say, I need prayer. Pray for me. Who are you praying with? regularly? Where are you hiding? And where are you abiding? So, again, you need a place to hide and a place to abide. Going on to the second point here. 
And before I do that, side note, is that if you're looking for a place to abide, here's another small group plug. Sign up for a small group. All the small groups pray together. Moving on to number two. Use patterns for prayer. Use patterns for prayer. Tabernacle prayer, Lord's prayer, the prayer of Jabez, other ones in Scripture, other ones in the Pray First book. And by the way, this is your last Sunday to buy one of those things for five bucks, so make sure you do that today. You've been thinking, I want one of those. Use patterns for prayer. And some of you might be saying to yourself, I don't like being told what to do. I don't. All the rebels in the room raise your hand. I don't like being told what to do. But here's the reality. Think of prayer patterns like sewing patterns. Okay? The pattern is there to guide you. But nobody said you had to use the same exact material, the same exact colors as what's on the picture. You get to put in all the content. The pattern is there so that you make a full and embodied prayer that doesn't have any mess-ups. Because otherwise, if you're inexperienced, you might forget to put in pockets. You might forget to cut out a head hole. Okay? You might forget some essential things. In fact, you might be praying more for yourself than for God's agenda. So you need a prayer pattern. And I'm not saying there's not a time and place for other situations, but I want to present to you a spectrum, so to speak. So in the middle, we'll say there are prayer patterns. Now, on one side of the spectrum, we have completely written prayers. So whether somebody else who's not in the Bible wrote them or it's just direct from Scripture, and then you just read them verbatim as if they're your own. Now, the advantage of these is that they're guaranteed to have depth if they're scriptural, right? But they lack authenticity. In high school, okay, I, I used to crank call my cousin all the time. And so they had these things online where you could, like, find celebrities, like, snippets of their voices, and they'd put it on a board and like, organize them so you could try to have a conversation with people. And so, like, I'd call my cousin and try to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody, and and it was funny. It was great. They were confused. But it gets to a certain point where it's like, the words aren't there that I want to say. I can't communicate what I want to communicate. So, yes, you get to sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You get to sound like Joshua. You get to sound like Jesus. But it's not you. So there's a time and place for that. Don't get me wrong, especially if you're in a season of life where prayer seems dry. Those have been helpful to me. Now, on the other side... We have completely improvised prayers. So no guidance whatsoever, okay? You're just praying what's on your heart. The advantage is this is completely authentic. It's all you. But the danger is it could lack depth. You could be praying for things that aren't necessarily what you should be praying for. Is your agenda aligned with the Lord's agenda? And then in the middle... We have prayer patterns where you can find depth, but you can also find authenticity. Use prayer patterns. Lean into them. They'll teach you how to pray. Use prayer patterns. Number three, pray with B.O. Pray boldly and offensively. Okay, boldly. So, you got to face the fact that what you pray about to God shows what you believe about him in actuality. Because you might be able to write it on paper, what you believe, 
But then when it really gets down to the nitty-gritty of like it applying in your life, you might not play that out. What is the biggest prayer you have prayed? That is how big you believe God is. And I'm not saying God does not care about small things. He cares about your car keys. He cares about the mosquito that's been bugging you. He cares about all the little things. Pray to him in every situation. But what is the biggest prayer you have prayed for? Because have you just been praying against one house that they would, they would see the Lord? Or do you believe that the Lord can bring such a revival to Mary in Indiana that all the drug use and addiction is gone? Do you believe that the Lord can bring us two baptisms? Or do you believe the Lord can bring us 100 baptisms? How big is your God? How you pray reflects how powerful you think he is. So you need some big, hairy, audacious prayers. Some BHAPs. Okay? Get some BHAPs. Put them in your journal. Pray some big, hairy, audacious prayers. James says it well in chapter 5, 16 through 17. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we were, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And I love that James uses Elijah and not Jesus in this situation because believing that James that wrote this was the brother of Jesus, I think he knew more than anyone else that people like to make the excuse, well, Jesus did it, I can't do it. Well, look, Elijah did it. He prayed earnestly. He prayed with fervency. His God was big. Pray boldly, but also, also <clears throat> need to pray offensively. No, I'm not saying you can use profanity. No, I'm not saying you just hurl curses at the Lord. Different conversation, different sermon, different day. I mean offensively. How often are your prayers passive or just defensive? Because I would say up until a year ago, while I would say that I believed that Satan was real on paper, I did not pray against him. I was not on offense. I did not pray as if Satan was after me. Because the truth is, Satan wants you to get sick. He doesn't want your friends who don't know Jesus to see the light. He doesn't want you to grow in your faith. And so are you just praying like, Lord, just keep me safe on this trip? Or are you praying that the Lord will triumph against the gates of hell and win points for the kingdom? Do you pray offensively? Because Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Christ has the victory. But the biggest lie that Satan wants you to believe is that he's not real. Pray against him. Find the spirits that are working against you in Jesus' name. Pray boldly because God is bigger than what you can imagine. And pray offensively because there's an enemy who's out to get you. And number four, become a Trinitarian. Become a Trinitarian. What am I saying here? Our God is three in one, one in three. We've got one God who happens to be three person. It's, it's confusing. It's one of the great mysteries of the faith. It is what it is. 
But I would reckon that most of you in the room either pray only to the title God or only to the title Father. Do you pray to the Son and the Spirit? Because if you believe they're full of God, then you can pray to them. If we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you can pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. They all do everything together, but they have different roles and responsibilities, which is pointed toward in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit, be with all of you. Now, Jesus is your Savior and your Master. You can pray to him, thanking him for spilling his blood for you, but also because he is a human. He has experienced what you have experienced. He is able to identify with you. When you are suffering, he has suffered. Lean on him. Lean on your Savior. The father is the one told about in the story of the prodigal son. The extravagant love of a father is waiting for you to come home. The extravagant love of a father who sent his son to die for us. Connect with him as your father. Let him correct you. Let him bless you. He's also the creator. Ask that he would help you to create things that glorify him. Thank him for creating you. And the Holy Spirit is your holy broski. The Spirit is there to guide you, to convict you when you're wrong, to help you endure when times are hard, to help you to look and act more like Jesus Christ. When you're anxious, he wants to comfort you. When you don't know what to do next, he wants to guide you. When you don't know what the scriptures mean, ask him. He's the one that inspired them. Talk to the Spirit. Let him be your best friend as you walk towards Jesus and into the loving arms of the Father. So there's a lot of overlap there, but this is just one point of many in a sermon. So this is the introduction. Become a Trinitarian, okay? Thanks. All right, number five. I believe number five is going to change your life. Get a dog. Get a dog. Okay? I, in fact, believe that getting a dog can change your life. Not only are they man's best friend, but they're God's best friend. Okay? Get yourself a dog. A day alone with God. Get yourself a dog, homie. Get yourself a dog. So praying daily is important, but you need time and space sometimes to be able to listen to the Lord for a more extended period. Because can you imagine if you were never allowed to spend more time with someone than like 15 minutes to two hours? What would your relationship be like if you only spent that stint of time with them each time you spent time with them? You need more space to be able to listen to the Lord and speak to him, to get into a deeper conversation. So there's not any like prescriptions in scripture that says you need to schedule a daily, a monthly day alone with the Lord or anything like that. But there are descriptions of days alone with God because Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Jonah was in a fish for three days. Elijah journeyed to Mount Horeb. For 40 days. Mount 
Sinai had Moses on it for 40 days. Elijah had just been in a season of depression and doubt, and he came out rejuvenated. Jesus had just been baptized before he went in, and he came out ready to start his ministry. Moses had just led the people out of Egypt, and he came down ready to lead them further. Jonah went into the fish disobedient, and he came out a little more obedient. <laughs> it's true. You read the end. <laughs> a dog can change your life. So pay attention to your dog, or you just might end up in the devil's pound, okay? <laughs> pay attention to your dog. <laughs> number six, number six. So um, shake it up, shake it up. So there's not a scripture for this one. This is just wisdom. This is just truth, and all truth is God's truth. There's going to be a point where you're going to get dry probably. We're doing the same old, same old. You're just going to get tired of it. You're going to feel stuck in your prayer life. You don't have to pray the same way your whole life. There's no rule about that. Change it up. Do something different. Pray with Scripture. Pray in a different place. Pray for different things. Pray in a different way. Use a different template. Do something different and see what comes out of it. Something that's especially helpful for me is I like to use my imagination a lot when I pray, and I will imagine the thing I'm praying for in my mind. It helps me to get into prayer more deeply. Or maybe you read Scripture and you imagine the scene that you're reading in the narrative, and you see what kind of prayers are prompted out of that. Shake it up. Do something different. And finally, never stop praying. Never stop praying. First Thessalonians 5.17. Never stop praying. Just because 21 days of prayer has ended doesn't mean that your prayer life has ended. Just because your morning devotions are over doesn't mean you should stop praying for the day. Just because your prayer is over before the meal doesn't mean that's the last time you should pray in the day. Pastor Chris Hodges in that book that we have, Pray First, talks about how we should be people who don't go to prayer as our last resort, but as our first response. Pray before things happen, not after things happen. It's not that you can't pray afterward, but if you're always the person that's responding and not praying proactively, then you're not stepping into all of the life filled with prayer that there is to offer. Your prayer should be motivated by faith and not by fear. So pray before you send the text. Pray before the meeting. Pray, pray, pray. Pray before everything, in everything, and after everything. Never stop praying. Pray when you get out of bed, when you brush your teeth, when you walk the dog, when you're in your office, when you're in the meeting, when you're picking gum off the bottom of your shoe. Pray, pray, pray. Be in constant communication with the Lord. Now, did you know that the average American checks their phone 52 times a day? Wow. Okay. What if you prayed 52 times a day? So I have a challenge for you in the next month, even though 21 days of prayer has ended. Pastor Jessica has so graciously made phone wallpapers for us available. So it's already on my phone, but you can access these on the 21 days of prayer resources on the website. You can do it right now. 
if you want. Or you can go to these signs that are in the back with QR codes that'll be new when you're walking out. And you can scan that, download the wallpaper, put it on your phone. And every time that comes up, whether it's a notification popping up or you're just doing it to look at the time or you're bored so you look at your phone and you see the words pray first, pray. Could you commit to doing that? How would your life change if you prayed 52 times a day, if you were in constant communion with the Lord, if you never stopped praying instead of just praying one time a day or a couple times a day? I want your prayers as plentiful as there are dollar generals in this country. (laughs) I want you praying anywhere and everywhere you think a dollar general could be. I'm not talking dollar general quality, but dollar general quantity. So now every time you look at your phone and every time you see a dollar general, I hope you pray. Pray. Never stop praying. Make this season a launch pad not a lily pad. Find a hiding place with God in your life and a place to abide in prayer with other believers. Use patterns of prayer to enrich your prayer life. Pray boldly and offensively. Become a Trinitarian. Pray to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Get yourself a dog. Shake it up and never stop praying. That's how you build a prayer-filled life. And so now as 21 days of prayer comes to a close, we want to celebrate with a time of communion together. And our season of fasting has ended, but now let the feasting begin. Jesus is the bread of life, and we feed on him in prayer. We lean into his strength and his providence in prayer. And so as we celebrate communion today, remind yourself to never stop praying to never stop feeding on Jesus. You need him every moment. You need him every hour. So I'm going to invite our stewards up and our attendants to come up and get prepped. And then as you come forward, the attendant will dismiss you from your row. You'll come forward and we'll be partaking through the method of intinction, which is just a fancy way of saying we're going to dip the bread into the juice. So you'll get handed a piece of bread dip it into the juice, and then just eat it right there. But wait for your attendant to dismiss you. But now let's remember the words that Jesus left us when he brought this meal to us.